And so, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our King and our Redeemer. Amen. Do you remember this film? Some of you, yeah. It was on very recently. You know, if you're that sad kind of person that just watches these films again. But one of the questions that comes in this film is, who is the ideal man? The tall, handsome one? Or the short and pretty unattractive one? It's an old story, and there's a kind of part of our reading where you can make some connection to this as we start this series on David. And as we start this series, over the next five weeks, we're going to be looking at the story, the story of an amazing man, unexpected things that happened, things that we can't connect with, but things that we can connect with. And it's good at the beginning of the year to think about a new beginning. And in a very dramatic way, David had a new beginning in the story that we've read. But the story actually starts in the verse before uh, the reading that Matthew brought to us with the Lord regretting, the Lord saying, I'm really sorry about something. And perhaps we don't often think about the Lord regretting. We just think he's, he's there. He's decided, and that's it. But he regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. Actually, God had never wanted Israel to have a king anyway. It wasn't God's first choice, but the people wanted to be like the other nations. That's a pretty familiar story as well, isn't it? I want to be like the others. And so God went with it. He went with their decision. And Samuel, of course, the prophet of God, he had been part of that. He had anointed Saul as king, and he didn't really want to give up on Saul. But it's really interesting, isn't it, that God was saying, we've got to move on. Things are going to change. And again, beginning of the year, how is God going to move us on in this year? He was very clear, God said to Samuel, no more thinking back, grieving the past, actually you've got to move on. And so Samuel's given this message. You're to go to Bethlehem, you're to find a guy called Jesse. Jesse was a man's name. And you're going to anoint one of his sons as king. Ah, Samuel wasn't really too sure about that. Um, Not very good news for Samuel. Not if you're going to anoint somebody as king when there's already a king and a very powerful king and a pretty unpredictable king. How is he going to respond? The whole thing about being kingmakers throughout history. You know, it can be very exciting to be the kingmaker, but also a little bit dangerous. The one who's king doesn't want to know about another king. So Samuel isn't very happy, but God says to him, This is what you're going to do. You're going to go. You're going to gather this family together and the community together. 
and uh, in the midst of a celebration, take along a young cow, and you're going to sacrifice, and you're going to worship. In the midst of all that, you're going to find this new king, the son of Jesse. Interestingly, a family that wasn't pure Israelites, because the grandmother, Ruth, was from Moab. So it's a family of outsiders, a family that had different kinds of background. And out of this family, this is what God was saying to Samuel, something's going to happen. So Samuel goes along, and uh, it's, it's a kind of dramatic story, I think, when he arrives. First of all, the people in Bethlehem see the prophet, and they're nervous, they're trembling. And when I was quite young in the Presbyterian church in the north of Scotland, I used to like this idea that the preacher would arrive and people would tremble. You know, this was the kind of thing we kind of encouraged ourselves with in those days, that this could happen. You know, it didn't really happen, but we talked about it as if it might happen. Uh, And uh, so here the people are trembling. But what does Samuel say? I've come with peace and I've come to find something that God is going to do. And he doesn't know which of these sons. So here come the sons. Eliab, oldest son, the tall, good-looking, the Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, this must be the guy. But he's not the one. And then one after another after another, and they're not there. It's a bit of a problem having built this all up. And so what happens is there's somebody who's been forgotten in this whole business because all he's doing is looking after some sheep. And after all, he's the youngest. I mean, it couldn't possibly be him, could it? But what matters, and this is really a key thing for us, and this is the main thing that's with me as I've reflected today is God says lots of people are looking at the outward appearance. They're summing things up. They think they know what makes somebody count or what makes somebody not count. But God, what's he doing? He's looking at the heart. He's looking deeper. He's looking inside and not just outside. And in David, God found somebody who inside was somebody really significant. David was serving the family, the community. He was shepherding. He was protecting. He was praying. He was actually doing stuff that was going to serve him in good stead. He was protecting the flock from bears and wolves. He was also singing and playing. And playing his lyre, as we read, was what actually moved him on in the next part of the story. It's the next part of the chapter, actually. If you go there, you'll see that Saul was getting himself into some fearsome rages, terrible moods. And he said, I just need to be soothed, and I need somebody who can play and who can sing, and it'll be beautiful. And one of the people in the court said, Aha! There's somebody over in that worship group there, and... They are the kind of person, this is the kind of person you need. David. And then we find this person in the, 
<laughs> it just works, doesn't it? <laughs> that's, that's just one of these wonderful moments. Um, so uh, it's David. And what does this person in the court say about David? He's brave. He's a warrior. He speaks well. He's a fine-looking man. God is with him. <laughs> I can't say anymore. I mean, it's just overwhelming, isn't it? But there's somebody in the court who's talking about David in this way, and his family couldn't see it, could they? They never saw it. They just saw this guy out there. And then suddenly you get this whole story of what somebody else can see in David. And often we're too close to see things. And somebody else needs to see them. But there we are. David is recruited by Saul. And uh, it's an amazing story. And we're going to carry on with that story. But that's just another dimension of this man, David. The, the singing, the playing on the lyre. And that's a mosaic of David uh, playing the lyre. I've heard there was a secret chord that David played and it pleased the Lord from hallelujah I'm not going to I'm not Alexander Burke I'm not going to as you probably realized uh, I'm not going to sing anything this morning but it pleased the Lord David pleased the Lord Saul no longer he'd blown it but here's somebody emerging and it's not that David was saying hey hey I'm here notice me it's all about God's initiative. It's God looking out for somebody whose heart is right. And in all that David was doing, there's something that pleased God. One of the great scholars of the Old Testament, Walter Brueggemann, says many things can happen that are kind of accidents and things in life, but here's a divine intention. I really like that. Here's something God's got in mind. And God's got the person who he's going to use. And so David's anointed, uh, and uh, as he comes in, it's uh, the whole thing of the brothers kind of standing over on one side. None of them uh, are the right person. And here's this young guy we de described as glowing with health. You know, if you're out with the, the sheep and all that, I suppose it does you a lot of good. Uh, and uh, here he is, but not only glowing with health, but the sense of the Holy Spirit in this narrative. It is the Spirit who brings the empowering to David as he's anointed, as Samuel does this. So he understands something about his call and the way in which the Spirit is going to guide him. So what we're thinking about, of course, is not just David, is it? It's me and you. All of us, every one of us. What's our calling? We were thinking about that, setting the scene. And you don't need me to tell you that we're in a, a celebrity culture that focuses attention on people who are rich and powerful and beautiful. And this story of David is so different, isn't it? The story of the youngest person. The story of the person who was forgotten even by his own family. So where are our role models as we start this year. Not so much, I hope, in the society that's around us, but rather in the sense of what God can do with people who are open to him, whose hearts are right. David became an amazing, powerful, remarkable leader. But this 
is the beginning. This is the call. And so every one of us has a call, but there is also a particular sense of vocation. And maybe that person trying to discern the vocation is not quite getting the kind of posture that I would perhaps go into to try and understand, but you get the message. Here's somebody engaging with, do I have a vocation? What do we mean by vocation? Uh, Our Methodist church partners uh, in this time of year talk about this. Might there be people amongst us whom God is not only calling to the work that they're already doing, but to something else, to be involved in leadership in his church, to be ordained ministers in his church. We need such people. And this church has been very, at Camborne, has been very involved in trying to encourage people in ministry uh, to train and to develop and to equip. And Peter has done a great amount uh, in this personally. And so what about vocation? I remember the time when I felt this call I'd been thinking about it, and uh, I enjoyed my work uh, in industry. But in my early 30s, very suddenly and actually quite unexpectedly, uh, I had the call into, uh, into Baptist ministry in my case. And uh, that call was, very, again, very specific to bivocational ministry, to go to small churches, to help small churches uh, that couldn't uh, pay somebody a salary and to you were bivocational or self-supporting, as the Anglican Church talks about. And so maybe here this morning, as well as the call to everybody to think about this year and what are you going to do in terms of your work and your life and your service for God, what might be the new things, there might be people who are beginning to explore as they think about uh, their lives, whether this could be a call into ordained ministry. And all the experiences that you've had up to this point then get directed into something which is going to bless the church in new ways. And I believe that's very exciting. As you know, many of you, I was involved in this kind of work for many years in college. And we used to say in Spurgeon's College in London uh, that the typical uh, person coming into Spurgeon's College to become a Baptist minister was an East End of London barrel boy. It wasn't quite that they were all like that, but unexpected people uh, that God called into ministry. And so David, the unexpected, not the person that everybody was looking to, but here is the Spirit of God doing those things, taking David, transforming him. Psalm 78, the Psalm of Asaph, at the end says this, God chose David his servant, took him from the sheepfolds, From tending the sheep, he brought him to be the shepherd of his people, the people of God. And David, says Asaph, shepherded them with integrity of heart. It's back to who we are, not just all the things that we can list, but who are we deep within, with integrity of heart and skillful hands he led them. And our churches need those ministers. And today I want to ask, could you be one of those?